So we're going to talk a little bit today about uh, the desert. And, and usually when you talk about the desert, the main thing you want to know is, you know, how do, how do I get out, right? Uh, and so we're not really going to talk about getting out of the desert today. Um, because the worst thing you can do when you're in the desert is just get out. Uh, you need to know why you're there. Uh, sometimes you put yourself there. And if you put yourself there, then I would say, yeah, get out. And, and it's a quick recipe for getting out when you put yourself there because the way we put ourselves there is through sin and, and repentance will get you out. Uh, but when God takes you into the desert, and he does, and we'll, we'll see that in a minute, when God takes you into the desert, you need to stay there and get what he took you there for. Okay? So we're going to look at that today. I want to ask uh, our guys to throw up on the screen, if you want to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. We'll start at verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. Now let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us this morning from your word, that you would teach us. Uh, we want to know about the desert place. Uh, we believe that you take us uh, there for a reason, and uh, we want to know. We want to learn from you. We want to be shaped by you. And so teach us today in Jesus' name. Amen. We love to go to deep places. I, I, I love uh, encounter. We've talked about that before, and, and we're a church that we talk about encounter, we preach encounter, we, we try to position ourselves on Sundays for encounter. We want to encounter the Lord in worship, and I, I believe that God loves to take his people into that deep, intimate, life-giving place. I, I really do. But sometimes his methods for moving us into the good place uh, can seem unusual. Uh, sometimes he uses the desert to get us into the deep place. Sometimes he takes us into a dry place to get us into the river place. 
Uh, a desert is a place where it doesn't feel like much is happening. Uh, it's a place where it can be difficult to feel or sense God's presence. A good example of a desert might be what the disciples experienced after Jesus was crucified. If you think about it, nothing was going the way they thought it was supposed to go. They didn't feel like things were happening. It seemed like to them, after three and a half years of rapid activity and the advancement of the kingdom, it seemed to them like everything had come to a screeching halt. In reality, more was happening in those days that Jesus was in the grave than at any other time in history. After the cross, Jesus defeats sin and death through the resurrection. And so this time that seemed like nothing's going on, nothing's happening, is actually a time when the most is happening. So again, the first question that we want to ask when, when you feel like you're in a desert place, and when it feels like nothing's happening, it feels like things are not going well, things are not going in the direction that you wanted them to, or you just can't sense God's presence, you feel like maybe you can't hear his voice, the first question you need to ask is, did I do this or did he do this? Did I put myself here or, or is this something that God is doing? And I believe that if you ask the Lord, hey, is there something going on here? Did I do this? Is there something I need to repent of? I believe that he will tell you. I don't believe he's going to turn his back and say, well, you figure it out. I, I think that he will tell you if there is something you need to repent of because he wants you to repent and he wants you to move out of sin and back into life-giving relationship with him. So ask that question, did I do this or did God do this? Sometimes sin will put you in a dry place. And repentance is, is really a change of direction. And so if, you're, if you are walking into sin and it lead, leads you into that desert place, then repentance simply means to turn and walk away from sin and walk towards God. And that will get you out of whatever desert you're in. But sometimes God will lead you into a dry place, into a desert place, a difficult place, in order to shape us or to grow us or to perfect us. Uh, Luke 4 says that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit and that he was led by the Spirit into the desert. If you notice, he's full of the Spirit and led by the Spirit as he goes into the desert did you notice how he came out of the desert? He comes out of the desert in the power of the Spirit. So something happened in the desert that was good. And so we want to look at that and try to figure that out. I'm just going to mention three things. And I, you could probably come up with more, more things than that. I tried to preach a sermon one time on things that Jesus uh, did. And I thought it would be four weeks and it was like, 44 months, because uh, he did a lot, apparently. So today, we're, we're just going to look at three things, okay? Three things that happen in the desert are three things that we can learn in the desert. And, and the first one is this. Spiritual significance is greater than physical gratification, or an emphasis on the eternal supersedes emphasis on the temporal. Verse 2 says, that while they were in the desert, while Jesus was in the desert, he was tempted by the devil for 40 days, and he had nothing to eat, and he was hungry. 
And the devil says to him, if you're the son of God, then just tell these stones, tell this stone to become bread. Could Jesus do that? Yes, he could do that. Why didn't he? Because obedience to his father and submission to his father's purpose was more important than his own comfort. Other examples in scripture of people who made decisions. Uh, Esau is one who chose physical gratification over spiritual significance. And it cost him dearly for the rest of his life. Esau traded his birthright and he traded his blessing for a bowl of soup because he was hungry. Here's the thing you need to know about Esau. He ate the soup. He lost the birthright. And by dinner time, he was hungry again. Because physical gratification is very temporary. And so when you choose to emphasize the physical over the spiritual, you're cheating yourself. You're cheating yourself. Samson is one who traded God's anointing for forbidden relationships. He chose temporary pleasure over spiritual significance. Joseph is one who chose spiritual significance over physical gratification. When Potiphar's wife pursued Joseph, he said no to her and he ran from her. And the reason that he ran from her is because he said to give in to temptation would be a sin against God. He recognized that God had a purpose for his life and he didn't want it to be derailed for a moment of pleasure. Judges 16.20 says of Samson, and this, to me this may be one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. Judges 16.20 says, but he, Samson, did not know that the Lord had left him. He did not know that the Lord had left him. Compare that to Genesis 39, verse 30, in verse 2 and in verse 21, speaking of Joseph. In the times of difficulty, when things are not going well, and it looks like everything is going opposite of the way Joseph would want it to go, we read these words, but the Lord was with Joseph. So which one would you want to have? Would you want everything to be good for you and feel good for you physically and not know that the presence of God was gone? Or would you rather be maybe in difficult circumstances, things not going so well, but have the assurance that the Lord is with you? Jesus says to the enemy, to Satan, man doesn't live by bread alone. There's more to life than what you can touch, what you can eat, what you can drink, what you can own. God has put us here for a purpose, and the enemy will try his best to put you in the ditch. God has put you, he has called you to himself, not just so you can go to heaven when you die, but God has called you to himself because he has a mission for you on earth. He wants to use you to influence for the kingdom of God. And the enemy is against you. And he will do everything he can and anything he can to put you in the ditch. Jesus, in the desert, would not allow his purpose to
to be harmed or sidetracked by temptation or by an overemphasis on the natural. Jesus said it clearly. We don't live by bread alone. He went 40 days without eating. Can we go 40 minutes without thinking about food? If you don't fast on a regular basis, let me just encourage you, just as a matter of spiritual discipline and learning to emphasize the eternal over the temporal, the spiritual over the physical, try making fasting a regular part of your life. Fast one day a week or even just fast a meal a week and take that time to focus on the Lord and pray Time that you normally would use to eat, use it to pray, to listen to the Lord and see if it doesn't make a difference in your life. The second thing, so the first thing that we learn is that spiritual significance is more important than physical gratification. And the second thing we learn in verses 5 through 8 is that the desert teaches us to put God first, to worship only him. Satan says, worship me and I'll give you all of this. Now, you need to understand, he, he wasn't lying. It had been given to him. It was a temporary delegation, but it was a delegation nonetheless. And he had authority over earth for a time. And so he's saying to Jesus, I can give you all of this. And it was his to give. Now, you may never in your lifetime be tempted to worship the devil. You know, I mean, in a room like this, I would not expect to find many of you who wrestle regularly with the temptation to worship the devil, right? But is that all there is to it? Not really. How about this? How about, hey, why don't you compromise your integrity just this once? Hey, why don't you, uh, t- why don't you take credit? for something that really belongs to somebody else. Nobody will know, and it'll feel so good. Or how about just indulge in sin for a moment? You can ask forgiveness later. It really comes down to this. Who meets your deepest needs? Who meets your deepest needs? Who or what do you look to to meet your needs? Most people uh, who are experts in this category uh, would say that our deepest needs are acceptance, identity, security, and purpose. Acceptance, they say, is knowing you are loved and needed by others. Identity is knowing that you're individually significant and special. Security is knowing that you're well protected and provided for. And purpose is knowing that you have a reason for living. So who are you going to look to when it comes to these things? And I would suggest that the source of fulfillment of our deepest needs is the single most important factor in life. If you look to have any of these needs met by someone other than God, it will eventually leave you empty and fractured. Empty 
and fractured. And, not, and that's just you. Not to mention what it will do to the people in your life that you're looking to, to meet those needs, who were not created and are not equipped to meet those needs. Only God. Only God is, crea- is, is equipped to meet these needs, these deep, most important, fundamental needs of acceptance, identity, security, and purpose can only be met by God. Our primary pursuit must be God himself. He has to be first. And when he is, everything else tends to fall into place. Scripture says it, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will follow. When he's not, when God is not first, things are okay as long as there's no desert, right? As long as things are going smoothly, things are great. But the minute trouble comes, it gets ugly. So the second thing that we learn in the desert is that God is first. And if you want things to go well in life, he has to be first. Seek you first the kingdom of God. Put him first. If you don't, and you just kind of have him over here on the side, you know where he is. You can call him if you need him, right? If you carry on like that, it may be okay for you when things are going well, but when trouble comes, you may find yourself in Samson's shoes. You had him at arm's length. You think everything's fine. Now trouble comes and you turn and you can't find him. God wants to be first. His instruction to us is put me first. Put me first so I can put your life in order. He won't be second. He won't be third. And Jesus says, worship God and him only. The third thing that we learn in the desert is we learn to trust and not to test God. We learn to trust God and not to test him. Verses 9 through 12 Jesus answers to the first two temptations. You'll notice Jesus quotes scripture. So in in the third temptation, uh, Satan tries to get a little cute. And he tries to turn the tables a little bit. And he quotes scriptures. And he says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And Jesus says, it also says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, here are the two most common errors that we make when it comes to dealing with Scripture. Uh, One is making Scripture say something it doesn't say to meet our own situation. That's That's what Satan's doing here. He's making Scripture say something. He's bringing it meaning and interpretation to fit his purpose. And then the other side of the coin is when we live life at a level much lower than God offers through Scripture. 
So we don't, we don't want to fall into either of those errors. We don't want to take Scripture and, and shape it and turn it and twist it to make it fit our situation. But we also don't want to ignore the wealth that God offers, the, the relationship and the depth and the freedom that God offers to us in his word. So we don't want to twist it, but we also don't want to settle for less. When the desert comes, you will find out if you trust God or if you will, in fact, test God. Will you believe that even though things are not going the way you want them to, that God has a plan? Or will you complain and manipulate and try to get God to do things your way? To trust him means to lay down your plan and follow him wholeheartedly. To trust him means saying yes without any buts, without any ifs, without any conditions. Job said, even if he kills me. How about that? Job says, even if he kills me, I'll trust him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were told to bow down, they said, put us in the furnace, turn it up as hot as you want, our God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. Does your trust, here's the big question of the day, does your trust exceed your understanding? Does your trust exceed your understanding or does your trust depend on your understanding? Trust that depends on understanding is not really trust. Just like faith that depends on sight is not really faith. After all of the temptations, Luke says that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Now, as a body and as individuals, we want to walk in the power of the Spirit. The question is, are we willing to follow Jesus through the process? Are we willing to follow Jesus through the process, process of shaping and equipping and molding because it has been compared by some to being on an anvil. Not to being an anvil, to being on an anvil, to being hammered. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought that maybe God's work in your life is like you being hammered? And I don't mean that kind of hammered. I mean, <laughs> I mean the kind of hammered that an anvil gets. You know what I'm saying? That the powerful hand of God to shape us into who he wants us to be can hurt. It can. But the reason God is willing to hurt us in order to make us is because he, above all else, knows that spiritual significance is greater than physical gratification. That the spiritual is more important than the physical that the eternal has more weight than the temporal. And so God will do what he will do 
to make you into the man or the woman that he called and created you to be, will you trust him? Or will you bail when trouble comes? I had a situation years ago. It was a, uh, we were having a meeting at University of Georgia. It was a Wednesday night at the Wesley Foundation. And the preacher made the statement, if God is not as real to you as the chair under your butt, you will fall away. And at the end of the time, when we, get, we opened the altar for ministry time, there was a young lady who, she was, she was offended by that. She was offended by that statement that anybody would say, you know, that she might fall away. And, and she believed in a God that was all comfort and all just, you know, life is good and, and this is sweet. And she went out the back door. And she walked down Lumpkin Street and she got to her dorm. And she told me later, she said, I put my hand on the dorm door. And I started to pull it open and I heard these words. If I'm not as real to you as the chair under your butt, you'll fall away. And she let go of the door and she turned around and she marched right back down Lumpkin Street and back in the back door of Wesley and straight down to the altar. And she said, whatever it takes, I want to be yours. And she's still walking with him powerfully today, you know, 25 years later. God wants to use you he has a purpose for you. There's a process for shaping you and equipping you. Sometimes it hurts. Can you trust him? Beyond your understanding, can you embrace even the hurt in order to be the person he created you to be? I hope you can. Now let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the desert. And the truth be told, we learn more there in the hard times than we do in the good times. And so I pray, keep us there as long as we need to be there and no longer. Shape us and mold us and make us into the men and women you've called us to be so that we can be of use in your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen.